Hi, I'm Amelia Bordeaux from Diamond Standard, and welcome to Clarity. This is a podcast that discusses our diamond commodity and the wider precious metals markets and factors that influence them. I'm happy to be joined today by my colleague, Nishiva Chan from Diamond Standard, and our guest, Philip Newman from Metals Focus. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. We heard you're uh, very busy with uh, the latest reports and some travel we hear. But why don't you start by just telling us, introduce us please to Metals Focus, because I know that I personally see it as a source, uh, a prominent source in a lot of precious metals uh, publications. Sure. So Metals Focus, we've been going for just over 10 years now. Uh, the company focuses exclusively on precious metals. Uh, providing market intelligence and uh, consultancy, so we don't trade the markets, uh, and it's entirely it was an independent company. So it is owned by the uh, the three managing directors, of which I'm one, um, and we're fortunate. We have a team of about thirty, based in eight markets, and the reason really why we've got people all around the world is because one of our strengths of our research is to get out there. Um, really to sort of kick the tires, meet all areas of the supply chain. So if you think, for example, such as the jewellery market, we're going from the, the refiners that are producing, say, a semi-finished product to the manufacturers, wholesalers, retailers, and then through, for example, to the, the guys dealing with, say, closeouts, someone like the US as well. And we repeat that in all of these countries that we, we travel to. And really, you've got to get out there, um, gain the trust of the market, because so much of the, the precious metals industry is privately owned. So you've got to be out there. You can't just rely on, say, Teams or, or Zoom for your, for your research. And so that's what we do, and it's an ongoing basis. So that's really the crux of, of Metals Focus. So we bring it all back together. Um, you know, we've just, we, we bring out for some of our major reports. So we've just published our annual gold focus. Um, and as well as that, you know, the research goes into sort of short dated and, and long dated forecasts as well. Interesting. And do you, does Metals Focus have some proprietary data that maybe is hard to get? It seems like you do when I look through some of your reports. Is that uh, absolutely so? I guess for our research, we do rely on some external data. So when we think of the likes of the, the gold market, we use a lot of sort of trade data analysis. But you know, trade data is really full of holes, um, is often incomplete, and really that's sort of one ingredient. And you're absolutely right, Amelia. You know, what we do is we pull together and create our own proprietary data sets for you know the major precious metals you know, through to including rhodium as well. Um, but yeah, it's all proprietary data that we end up with, absolutely. That's great. Uh, should we turn now to the, the gold report? I understand maybe you've just gotten back from a, a conference. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so just back from the, the IPMI, uh, the International Precious Metals Institute. Uh, they hold a conference uh, once a year. It's in the US, so this year, um, just outside Phoenix in, in Scott, Scottsdale. Um, thankfully, it was a little bit more temperate, the temperature didn't, didn't quite get up to uh, about 120, so it was a bit lower than that. So thankfully, you know, not too bad holding meetings there. 
And, you know, what we do, although that came after the, the release of our gold focus, because our research is ongoing through the year, it's really important to get out there and almost, I guess, stress test some of the conclusions that we came to in the, in the gold focus. Um, again, you've got so much of the, the supply chain out there uh, at the conference, not just gold, uh, it's uh, an incredibly important event for PGMs as well. But if we focus on the, on the gold side, um, you've got some of the, um, of the uh, coin and bar dealers, I guess most of the key coin and bar dealers in the US, as well as some key ones from other countries as well. So, so for example, you know, one of the key findings of the gold focus, if you focus at the moment on, on the coin and bar side, is that you know, the US has been doing incredibly well for, for quite some time. Uh, it really, I guess, burst into life um, around the time of COVID. And then in early 2021, um, we had what we call the, the Reddit squeeze, um, if you remember that. That was initially about, about silver, but gold certainly benefited. And then as we move forward to, to last year, um, market was incredibly strong, backed off a little bit towards the end of 22. Uh, but this year, of course, with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank um, and Signature as well, things just really burst into life in a very big way. And it's about, so, you know, the IPMI, you're trying to get a sense of, you know, what's the market going to do? What are the key drivers? You know, if you were to speak to a dealer, they would tell you that price volatility is key. You know, if gold was to, say, stabilize, say, 1950 or 60 and hold at that level, it gets really uninteresting really quickly. But if you've got a, a really volatile price, uh, you know, investors are selling into that, prices weaken, you get bargain hunting, so you get a lot of two-way action. Um, and you overlay that with, of course, what's, what's happened with Trump uh, this, uh, the past couple of days. You have, uh, of course, it's, you know, it feels as though your election isn't that far away already. Um, market was still spooked by your uh, U.S. Uh, debt ceiling negotiations. You know, so there's a lot out there going on. Um, yeah. So, I was just going to ask you because of, mm. I feel like gold shorter term, like maybe since March, since the banking crisis that you referenced, um, mm. has been more volatile. And I've actually looked at it against the BOA ICE like the move index, the bond market index, which has been quite elevated. And I kind of think that that's that elevation in the bond market um, is volatility throwing gold around a little bit. So that's, that's kind of to the point of your, maybe your dealers who they do like the two way price action. Interesting. Yes, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And I guess related to your point, of course, is, you know, what the fed is you know going to do with its interest rates. You know, not so much, or I should say less now, to do with where interest rates are and more to do with what is the Fed going to do. Um, not even, I know the Fed obviously left rates unchanged uh, yesterday, but I think the market yeah. is looking beyond that to what, what's the expectations for the rest of this year. We're straying a bit now into more of what institutional investors do rather than retail investors. Um, but, you know, the, the Fed... You know, the Fed is obviously responding to, you know, what's U.S. inflation like? What is the U.S. economy looking like? And there's, you know, tremendous um, uncertainty there. You know, we, I mean, we've obviously had, you know, headline CPI falling quite significantly, but core, you know, inflation is still incredibly sticky. 
Um, and so it, it's really quite fascinating how the markets are responding to that. And those are kind of things we address in the gold focus. And as I said, it's important when you're at the IPMI. You know, my colleagues, um, just last week, there was a very sizable conference in Singapore run by the, um, uh, the Singapore Bullion Market Association. And um, again, one of my business partners based in Singapore is doing exactly the same thing that I'm doing in Scottsdale, stress testing our conclusions with the trade. And I do want to say a quick comment as far as some of the investment sentiment really putting a focus on gold right now with UBS and BlackRock analysts recently coming out for support of increased allocations. How do you see that impacting investment demand? That's really fascinating because, you know, those recommendations to, you know, increase the allocations is at a time when, you know, interest rates, you know, have increased by around, I think, 500 basis points, you know, in a year and a half or so. So that's an incredible headwind in terms of the, the cost of carry for gold. So it is really quite fascinating that you, you, you see that, that happening. Um, I've got to say that we are still, you know, fairly bearish from a price point of view. And then by extension, that means we're a little bit bearish in terms of overall uh, institutional allocations to, to gold. Um, we still think there'll be some liquidations in the second half of this year um, as the, the market entirely adjusts to the Fed's position that it won't um, reduce rates. And of course, maybe it'll increase rates at the next meeting. But again, as I mentioned, the market is looking beyond that um, to the rest of this year. And so we think as the market adjusts those expectations to more hawkish, then you could see liquidations. Um, equity valuations are, are quite ripe. So that's quite an interesting dynamic to, to play into the whole thing um, as well. And I guess, you know, related to all of this is what kind of um, outcome will we have for your economy? Will it just be a slowdown? Will it be a recession if the latter short-lived, more protracted? I guess our view is it will be fairly short-lived. Um, and therefore, you know, we could see the economy starting to improve the back end of next year. Um, that could be um, positive equities. And you may see, therefore, some rotation out of gold. I think, though, what is also backing up your, your, your point, Nishiva, is the fact that last year, even though gold looked like it didn't do a great deal, it actually outperformed in a, a, you know, so many other key asset classes. And I think investors certainly remember that. And I think even though you know, it's, it, it's not homogenous how investors will behave, or that's, you know, it's not, it's not a binary situation. So you can see you know, even for 24 and even 25, that as equities start to strengthen, I think investors, because of course they look at it in the value point of view, not in volume as I always do, that as equities improve, they'll want to maintain the share that gold has of their portfolio. So you could find that is, you could have a situation of equities starting to improve, but the um, interest in gold doesn't wane. It also picks up a little bit as well, just to maintain that, you know, that share of gold in those portfolios. That's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, I more. The... Um... Yeah, if we're recording this on June 15th, so the Fed meeting was just yesterday, the June Fed meeting, and they paused, as you noted, but they did come out more hawkish in their forecasts than the market was expecting. So, so far, 
future uh, outlook for the Fed in terms of market pricing has really adjusted. I think about a month ago, there was 100 basis points of rate cuts priced in for this year. And now that's slowly adjusting. It's slowly coming out. So the market's more gravitating towards the Fed's outlook of no um, rate cuts this year, but they're not quite there yet. So that, that must be a huge, as you mentioned, probably a large swing variable in your forecasts. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you, you, what's really interesting is that if we go back just very briefly to the beginning of this year, we had a broadly similar dynamic of the market increasingly moving to the head, to the Fed's hawkish position. And in the beginning of this year, we actually saw gold prices coming off quite a bit. It was then, of course, when you had everything kick off with the, you know, the regional banking issues in the States, followed by, of course, you know, Credit Suisse and, and UBS, uh, that things really kicked off. And then, of course, it was, you know, it, you know, almost like a reversal, wasn't it? That, okay, now from the market going, okay, well, we, we are going towards the Fed's hawkish position. Well, now it's like, well, the Fed has to become increasingly dovish and therefore gold and everything moved higher, et cetera, et cetera. But I think now you're absolutely right. You know, you've had that swing in um, expectations quite considerably. You know, the Fed really has held its line. I think it's been pretty consistent. Um, the other thing I think which is really important from a gold price point of view um, is, and away from the financials, is actually in terms of the supply-demand dynamics. And one of the real big ones is in terms of central bank activity, um, especially last second half of last year. You know, gold prices through to early mid-November were really weakening. And, you know, you know, what was really timely was the strength of uh, central bank gold demand, um, you know, really helping to put a floor under the price. I mean, it's really difficult to say, you know, how much weaker they would have been, but I think they would have been really considerably weaker if you didn't have the strength of central bank demand. Um, I mean, last year was a record high for purchases on a net basis. So then, of course, we, we were subtracting sales from demand to get the net outcome. And again, a lot of that was concentrated in the second half of last year. That spilled over into a really strong first quarter for central bank buying. Um, and again, that really helped to underpin the price. Going forward, though, and to your point, Amelia, about this change in how we're looking at the market in terms of interest rates, but also if we look at the central banking side, that I think central bank demand will probably be uh, a little less strong, still robust, but it won't be as you know as, as um, strong as we saw last year. So I think that will also not be able to provide the same floor to the price that we saw both in late 22 and early this year as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's an incredible demand from central banks. So as you noted, you're saying that central banks for the gold price are creating a floor. They're, they're creating kind of that bid. So it's the institutional money that can really, in theory, take it through, take the gold price through its highs or, and where does like retail fit in there? You really need like substantial investment from the instos to go top side, like 2070 or something, would you? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when we look at the, the supply demand fundamentals. We often talk about the likes of either coin bar, jewelry or central bank. You know, some of these key areas help to provide, you know, or can help to provide a solid floor to the price, but they won't drive it higher. 
you know, um, I mean, you know, last year, if you look at the past couple of years, I mentioned about the strength of the US market, Europe was going great guns in terms of its coin and bar demand for gold, but it will rarely, if ever, provide price upside. It's all about the weight of money from the institutional, the hedge funds, pension funds, whatever that may be. That's the, the pivotal driver that you need if you want to see sustained upside for the gold price. And what I found quite interesting is that's in spite of record high global output currently. Is that correct? Uh, as well, yes. So, um, yeah, so that's certainly reached um, a record high um, as well. So, you, you know, you've had some good figures from that, that point of view. Um, and so when you combine everything to, together, you know, you end up with a market um, in a considerable surplus for last year. Um, so, you know, so I think that's is an interesting dynamic that we see in the marketplace. So um, very much so. We talked uh, about the U.S. economy and um, I wanted to turn a little bit towards China now, because when we talk about economic risk globally, you know, it is hard to judge the extent to which we'll have a slowdown in the U.S. and possibly the exact timing of it, largely because the labor market remains um, so strong in the U.S. But as I understand it, the China reopening story has been a bit disappointing. The unemployment rate is up. They cut rates uh, last night, the PBOC. So I'm wondering if that's the, another side of the coin, another economic risk that we're so focused on the U.S., but that China strong reopening story really didn't come through. And perhaps that could lend some you know, support to gold in terms of the nervousness around global GDP. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. So as you say, sometimes we can become you know, too focused on, on the states in terms of from a, a GDP standpoint. Um, and we'll have to just wait and see how things are going in China. I think maybe you know, people were caught surprised a little bit or maybe the authorities were in terms of the reopening and, and that bounce back. It seemed, as you said, a bit limited. Um, from a gold point of view, last year was quite um, difficult. We saw a double-digit decline in terms of the jewelry market, no surprise there, of course. Um, so, and then I think the first quarter of this year was, was, was pretty decent and we have been expecting um, further upside. I think we still, we still probably will um, just because of how weak last year was from a comp point of view. Um, and again, we could see from our standpoint, decent coin and bar demand, mainly bar in, in China. Um, that also could benefit from an uncertain local economy, of course, from that sort of more traditional safe haven demand. So we have to really see how that one plays out in the coming months. There's so many things going on. It seems like there's, is this a difficult year to, to forecast gold? Do you think relative to other years and just there's so many pieces, you know, in terms of GDP, in terms of rates? I mean, ECB just hiked again this morning and are hawkish. So it seems like some of the central banks around the world that have gone into a pause, like last week, um, Canada had been pausing and the RBA um, from Australia had been pausing. And last week they've resumed their rate hiking cycle. So it's kind of um, this fight of inflation has kind of maybe been more difficult than some of the central banks um, have anticipated. So you have that variable, you have GDP, you have maybe some more central bank demands, depending on the geopolitical risks that are around the world. So um, has it been difficult to forecast for this year? 
Yes. So it's a bit too short an answer. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been, yeah, it's, I've been forecasting the price by definition, you know, otherwise, yeah, I'll be on the beach somewhere. But um, no, it's, I think you're a hundred percent right there. It's, it's been very difficult. You know, it, it feels as though, I don't know, maybe we, um, you know, have a rose tinted view of how things used to be, but, you know, you used to have, you know, something really significant happen perhaps every two or three, four years. Now it feels like an annual or half yearly basis. Um, I guess from that point of view, the question is, do investors become jaded? You know, the, you know, how much does the invasion of Ukraine affect the market now? Probably not a great deal. Um, I think the, you know, the blowing up of the, the dam, I think unsettled investors again. But yes, I think it's an incredibly difficult year to, to forecast because again, you know, it's to my, in my humble, simple mind rather, you know, a few months ago, it, it seemed a little binary that, you know, the dynamic of marketing expectations versus a Fed position, what that means for rate expectations was a key driver. Um, but the question is, are we seeing investors now moving past that and becoming, you know, unsettled about where things are, wanting to maintain a higher portfolio to gold? It's really hard to say if that's going to play out. But, you know, it is an incredibly uncertain year to to try and, you know, forecast whether these things go. And I, I think to your point, Amelia, about um, uh, central banks and why they're buying gold, you know, I think one of the key points in the gold focus was about the, the move away from the dollar, you know, and we, we have a chart in there, basis IMF data. I think it shows that the uh, end of 20, sorry, end of um 1999, you had about a 70% allocation to, to dollars. End of last year, it's down about 56%. So that's obviously a gradual move, but it's certainly part of that. And again, related to the invasion of Ukraine, concerns by some countries and sort of the weaponization of the dollar as well. Um, I think that unsettles some. So yes, I, I think that will that will continue just because we are expecting the central bank figure to be lower than last year in absolute terms. It's still a very decent figure. And also, you know, if I could just say that, again, our figures are net. So what you've also seen this year is a real jump in central bank selling. I think it's already what you've seen over the first four or five months is the total of all of last year. Now you've got some unusual factors you've got for example well, most i guess the biggest factor is the uh or was the turkey? um turkey yes with the yeah. um elections there so because of the right. problems with the current account you saw the cent um not the central bank you saw the government ban gold imports and therefore right. you saw the central bank releasing you know um about forty-five thousand ounces to get my conversion right on a daily basis so, you know, that's now stopped pretty much, I believe. So, but that was a big factor for quite a while. Yeah, there's so many variables. Yeah, Turkey is in a tough position. They're in a full-blown currency crisis right now. I think they're just a couple of weeks after Erdogan, the final um, election results came out, uh, the lira depreciated 16% against the dollar. So, yeah, they, they have a tough um, situation currently. But getting back to your point about um, the dollar is kind of, decline in, in global reserves. Um, 99, of course, you just referenced that year. That was the, introduce, 
the introduction of the euro. So, of course, that did take some reserves away from the U.S. But when we look at the, that IMF data, um, you know, China has slowly moved up in reserves, the yuan, but, but not by much. You know, it's only 2.7 percent of global uh, reserves right now. So I do think that, you know, gold is in demand. Uh, we talk about it from a de-dollarization perspective, but I think that there is really no alternative to the dollar. And that's why, you know, countries are looking to gold, to looking to that physical investment, because it's not politicized. They want something that they can, you know, diversify away from that's outside of the realm of, say, you know, U.S. treasuries or China bonds, you know, as well. And so, you know, to that extent, any precious metals, but obviously gold is one that, that the IMF accepts as a reserve currency. And to some extent, our commodity, the diamond commodity, just they, just assets that are not linked to politics or world government, perhaps. So. Yeah. And I think also, you know, you, you know, you can obviously dictate where those gold reserves are held as well in, in case you're concerned about having your asset, overseas assets frozen. Um, I think in terms of yuan, you are seeing, I think, a lot more bilateral trade settled in yuan. So I think that has boosted some of that demand for that currency um, as well. But I think that drive away from the dollar, you know, continues to, to benefit gold, even with, you know, there's obviously some sensitivity about when you would go in because, you know, a, a central bank can be a bit like an oil tanker. It takes a very long time to change direction for those decisions to be made. But I think once they have made that um, that decision to buy gold, you know, obviously they will not just come into it blindly. They would have certain you know, entry points. So you can almost have a little bit like sort of bargain hunting on one level from central banks as it meets those, its internal targets. Um, but again, that I think will go on. I mean, one thing we do at Metals Focus, you know, we produce a five-year forecast. So we really do try to you know, crystal ball gaze. And in that, we've still got, you know, going further out, you know, expectations that central bank activity will remain firmly on the demand side. How do you estimate that? Are you speaking with central banks or do you have any contacts there that you that you speak with? Or is it purely they're like you try to estimate the reserve management or something? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, to be blunt, I don't, I don't think any central bank is going to tell us, you know what, we're going to buy X next year, let alone next week. So no, it's it's just our <laughs> if only, but it's, it's it's our view of the market. It's just the sentiment. Looking at it's looking at the drivers where they are, and do we think those drivers are going to change anytime soon? Um, and those holdings can be for a lot of banks can be can be quite sticky. There are of course uh, some banks you know are natural buyers of their own mine production. They tend to be more. I guess, active on a two-way side of the market. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, just looking at the drivers and thinking, you know what, do you think anything will change soon? Not really. I mean, gosh, it's one of the, you know, all, all areas of the forecast are subject to uncertainty by definition. And yeah, that one is probably the most uncertain with the, with the most significant margin of error, no doubt about it. What about um, jewellery demand? So kind of on the retail side. I mean, we hear a lot in our in our world, our diamond world over here, that um, you know, diamonds are reducing in supply just because a mine hasn't a major mine hasn't been discovered in decades. But at the same time, you know, luxury demand remains quite strong for jewelry, you know, uh, especially jewelry included with diamonds and kind of maybe diamonds and gold, you know, 
go together sometimes in jewelry. So are you seeing like that luxury demand coming from Asia increasing over the next say three to five year period? Or are you assuming that or? I think it varies by by market. If, if, before I get to Asia, just your point about the luxury, just in like something like Germany, which is quite an important market, you see that in spite of everything with the cost of living crisis and so on, that the high end for jewellery is held up remarkably well. The mass market is where it's struggled and taken the hit, but the the, uh, the high end has done exceptionally well. I think in terms of, again, if I take a step back and think of Asia as a whole, so someone like India, we, you know, as a point you make in the gold focus, that you are seeing increasing demand for studied uh, jewellery, stone set jewellery. You know, what used to be in such a traditional, say, 22 market, the growth of 18 carat has been, you know, really exciting. And what you've seen there is over the past, I guess, five, 10 years, the growth of the, the branded retailer, uh, taking market share from the independent. And because they are branded, as you would expect, that can attract, but enables them to charge a higher margin. So you've got you know, pieces with more design. And by extension, what you've seen in the past few years now is, as I said, that growth in, in studied jewelry as well. So that's certainly, I think, been a really exciting area um, of the market that we see. Now, of course, you overlay that with other issues going on in um, India. There's concerns about the health of the monsoon this year. That hits the agricultural area, rural economies. That's much more of a plain gold market. Um, so you certainly have that separation, and I'm taking it very crudely from my point of view, the separation between the rural plain and the urban with more gem sets and perhaps a little lower purity. When I say lower, I mean down to 18. Um, so you certainly have those dynamics playing out. So I think overall, I think we're positive for the likes of some of these these markets. As but you are seeing, you know, more of them moving towards, as I said, higher value add. You know, when I used to cover the US uh, for for jewelry, and when I spoke to retailers, you know, they said it's it's all about telling the story. How do we differentiate ourselves from from everyone else? You know, <clears throat> you know, move, move away from something generic. You know, why should you come to my store rather than going to, I don't know, a, a Macy's or a Penny's down the road, wherever it may be? Um, and I think we're increasingly seeing that type of trend play out in the likes of India um, and China, the growth of the branded beyond the major cities into smaller towns. Some of that can create new demands and some of it can just take over from a, you know, a family owned independent. Um, but I think the future is bright from that, that point of view, certainly is. That's good. So what um, the swing factor, see, I'm just looking at some of your tables. The swing factor, at least in demand, is really the net official buying at the, the central banks this year. And then do you have you have kind of increases throughout the rest of the sectors? Do you have in jewelry or uh, like small increases in jewelry, small increases in um, the institutional world? Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, again, for that huge swing in the central banks, you know, people may say, oh, you're quite bearish, but hopefully what's come across today is that overall we are really positive and, you know, comparing it to last year is not a great benchmark. For jewellery, um, part of that, you know, is driven by our expectations for China, as I said, following its heavy loss 
you know, last year. So I guess it's slightly more of a return to normalization there. Um, and I think, you know, elsewhere for jewellery, because we were a little bit bearish for prices the second half, I think you see sort of a positive price sensitive response from some of these markets. The likes of uh, India, you know, in the second half of this year, as you come into some of the key festivals, the wedding season as well. Um, but even for India, we're a little bit cautious because I mentioned earlier, you know, what's happening with concerns about the, the monsoon. So you've certainly got different drivers um, at work there without, without a shadow of a doubt. So I think it's quite a mixed picture. Somewhere in the Middle East is really fascinating. Someone like Turkey that you touched on earlier, um, you know, in spite of the collapse in the Turkish lira, which meant that gold prices, local ones, you know, hit levels that were just eye-wateringly high, you know, un unheard of levels. You didn't see um, consumers selling back because the economy was so uncertain and the political situation was just such a concern, they actually held on to their gold, be it jewellery or bars. And so it's a question of will we see a similar level of buying this year? I think we are you know, a little bit more concerned about that. But you've certainly got you know, quite um, a mixed picture in a certain, you know, so many different key countries there. Yeah, and I, su I suppose that, um... oh, go ahead, Nishira, go ahead. Oh, I, I did think that was quite interesting as well. And the, the forecast noting a, a 2% rise as far as jewelry consumption in the forecast for uh, uh, reaching a five-year high, which um, I thought was quite impressive, um, all things considered with some of the uh, supply and demand focus globally. Yeah, and, and I think also, you know, the, the gold price is, you know, I think it will be a record high for the annual average in dollar terms. Now, of course, you know, we, we've got to look at so many countries and, you know, what their local prices are doing, of course. But, you know, when we think about that commitment from consumers in terms of their share of their budget, with the uncertainty that we've spoken about, you know, the cost of living crisis in some countries hasn't gone away at all. When you look at, you know, as I said, India, with that little bit of a move into 18 from 22, from plain to studied, all of that takes, you know, rupees away from gold as well. So when you consider all of these factors, I mean, the year-on-year -year comp may look that impressive, but to your point, Nishiva, I think overall, I think it's, you know, very respectable outcome. And do you see that as far as coin and bar consumption? I was curious also on the general sentiment at the uh, IPMI conference. Yeah, I think for the U.S., in spite of, you know, the second quarter being pretty mixed in places, yeah, I think they're quite positive. I think, you know, if you move away from the U.S., look at someone like Germany, which is by far the biggest, you know, coin and bar market in Europe, that's been really difficult. You've had, you know, record euro prices, cost of living we've spoken about a few times. Um, we got banks offering positive interest rates for the first time in some time, you know, so inflation's backed off a little bit. And of course, you know, I think the point Amelia made about the, the ECB raising rates, um, you know, very recently. So again, that's, that's also another headwind for gold, but the coin and bar market there is really, really challenging. It's exceptionally weak. So we are at this point in time, expecting that to come back to some extent in the second half, again, as prices weaken, 
to get some bargain hunting. But you know, if we're proven wrong, then that that's that's a you know that will really act as a drag on our figures. And you know, when we next come out with our our views on gold, you could see potentially, you know, a somewhat lower coin and bar figure for twenty three. Yeah, I mean, here in the United States, obviously, like NASDAQ has been <laughs> on fire with all of the AI, you know, tech, that big rally. Been very concentrated, though, driven by, um, you know, a handful of names. So just for me, it's interesting if that backs off. And we do have in the United States a recession that's perhaps a little deeper than people thought. I would think that that would you know, increase allocations from North America, at least into, into gold. So that's something that could be like an upside surprise, perhaps. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think I completely agree there. But, and of course, you know, the, the one thing I haven't touched on is you know, what's happening within the crypto world. There is, you know, if you, if you look at the, you know, what the SEC is doing there and some of its pronouncements, will we see a lot more regulation coming here? Will that, you know, turn people away from that area? Where are they going to go? I would have thought a fair number would come into to gold. I think gold has lost out a little bit from a speculative side, not from a safe haven point of view, but from a spec side to, to crypto. And so will we see some of that come back as well? So that could be an interesting dynamic as well. Um, that, again, I think would be more of a retail move. And, you know, to what we said earlier, you know, um, it's, it's more about the institutional side from a price action. So I don't think necessarily a move back into crypto by retail investors will have much price um, impact. But it will be interesting if that does play out, what that means for our, our, uh, our North American coin and bar figures. So that's certainly an, an area of uncertainty. And I think also overlays while we are still, in spite of the second quarter being a bit slower than the first, while we're still positive for, say, U.S. you know, gold purchases by retail investors. I think that's an amazingly interesting point, especially in tying crypto to new gold demand with the rise of gold tokenization and the previous comments of forecasting out for five years. Are you looking at that as a new significant demand driver as far as for convenience and consumption and trade of gold? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think there's been, you know, much move in that area. I think you are seeing that one beginning and, you know, a lot of new products coming online. I think where it's an interesting dynamic is perhaps attracting, and I'll sound a bit old here, attracting younger investors, you know, who are very comfortable with, say, you know, tokenization or with, you know, with ETFs in general, I appreciate that's a bit of a stretch or a bit of a broad church. But, you know, if they're used to dealing with inequities and digital products, then the extension, you know, that, that sort of bridges that gap to an asset class like gold that they may think is, you know, um, has little appeal for them. And so, you know, crossing that divide, I think, is an, is an interesting dynamic. I don't think we've seen, of course, leaving ETFs to one side, in terms of the, the digital products that have come online, the, the, those that are physically backed or the movement into God, I think has been still been pretty modest. Um, and so we just have to see how that one plays out going forward, though, to be honest with you. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty there as, as well. Um, these products, as I said, many of these products are, are pretty new. Um, and you, you would have thought there'd be more upside 
again, we see it in quite a variety of markets. I've got a colleague that goes to Bangkok for us, and he certainly hears that you know younger investors are you know are, are quite keen on on thing on digital gold that's physically backed um, and and so on. So I think there is certainly moves in some of these other these other markets as well. That's great. Well, we wanted to thank you for your time. We are coming towards the end of this discussion, which has been so helpful. I know our, our listeners will find it fascinating and all of your insights. So we really, really appreciate your time, Philip. And I guess some of the takeaways here is this is going to be continue to be a tradable market this year. There's a lot of uncertainty, which me coming from the macro world means that there will be a lot of opportunity as well in terms of in terms of trading. So we'd love to have you back maybe, you know, the second half of the year just to see how things are progressing. Thank you for your time. No, thanks much. Appreciate it. Materials presented are not intended to be a recommendation, solicitation, or offer to buy or sell any securities, financial instruments, investments, or to participate in any particular investment strategy. The content and opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a guarantee of future results, performance, or outcomes. Before acting on any information or content presented herein, you should consult with a qualified financial professional, tax advisor, or legal counsel to determine the suitability, risks, and potential rewards of any investment or financial strategy for your individual circumstances, financial situation, and risk tolerance.